Welcome to the Coach Mike Podcast. I have quite a story for you today. Well, look, we've all done things in the past we've regretted. Things we wish we could take back and that have caused us tremendous shame and guilt. Things that have haunted us or caused us to cringe at the very notion of our transgression. Now imagine this. You've committed a crime, paid your dues to society, perhaps even served time in prison. But what if life just wouldn't let you forget? What if the unthinkable happened and 20 years later, Hollywood decided to make a film about you and your sin, then cast A-list stars to showcase your crime and even used your name? That is exactly what happened to Frank Tisson, a blue-collar kid from the Bronx who made good until one fateful day he made a horrible mistake he would live with for the rest of his life. On April 25th, HBO will premiere Bad Education, starring award-winning actors Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney. Jackman portrays beloved school superintendent Frank Tassone, who was involved in one of the biggest school scandals in Long Island's history. Today, years after Frank Tassone walked free from jail, he will, for the first time, share this complex tale of arrogance, greed, and ultimately, shame. We will meet a man who now lives for one thing and one thing only, redemption. Frank, welcome to the Coach Mike Podcast. So, how are you doing? I'm nervous and um, very upset since everything happened from the very beginning. And now with the film coming out, I finally thought I was past it because I you know, made full restitution and I served my time in prison. And then when I, when I found out after I had not been consulted, when I found out the film was coming out, it upset me more. Maybe just to help me understand your, your background, right? Yes. You're 70, you're 73 years old. I am. So it may take a lot of time to get to know all what's happened all through the years. But in terms of like, when you were younger, talk to me about What did life look like and how did you end up working in education? Um, My family is a blue collar family um, in an area of the Bronx, Pelham Bay, Bay Bronx. I was an altar boy for many years. In fact, I almost became a priest. Wow. My elder sister was my model. She was a teacher for 35 years. My mother and father believed in education. So we all were educated. I um, went to Iona College. In New York, that's upstate, right? That was in Westchester County. I actually had one partial scholarship. And so I went to Catholic elementary and Catholic high school. So the only colleges that were really presented to us at the time were Catholic colleges. And I, and I received an outstanding liberal arts education at Iona College. And when I graduated, um, well, actually, let me um, say that in my senior year, uh, I met my wife. She was beautiful, lovely. And when I asked her to marry me, because I knew then, I no longer wanted to be a priest. When I asked her to marry me, she said, I have something to tell you. I have Hodgkin's disease. Let me rewind a little quick. You grew up in a, a family. Education was important. You were an altar boy. You went. I went to Catholic high school, too. And then I went to Fordham University, which is, you know, Jesuit school up in the Bronx, right. yes. um, which I dropped out of. But 
what was the moment you decided you did not want to pursue being a priest and why? It really was when I met my wife because we were both teaching and she was so charming, so lovely, so kind. And so I knew at that point that I really wanted to marry and have a family. I love I love children. So growing up, I had a very wonderful upbringing. My parents were very lovely, loving. Uh, they always supported us. They just were, were really wonderful. And I had two sisters. Do you remember when you were growing up, kind of what your biggest fears were? I think my biggest fear was not succeeding. And when you say not succeeding, kind of this idea that like, you wouldn't make enough in your career or your life or? No, it was always that I, I wanted to be the best, you know? I always wanted to excel and, 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 and you know, if I didn't get a hundred, I was very upset. And my parents would say, well, you received a 98, that's still good. But mm. that still bothered me because it wasn't a hundred. How important was it for others to believe you were the best? It wasn't that important actually. I just felt the necessity to be outstanding and to really do a wonderful job. And then you went through college and you, did you have a vision of, I wanna be a teacher, I wanna run a school, I wanna run a, anything during that period of time? Yes, um, actually I became an English chairman after three years and it was a wonderful heterogeneous uh, high school. Yeah. And I was senior class advisor, um, yearbook advisor, senior class director, so it gives you an indication of how I was very much appreciated in that school district. And why did you love it so much? Well, there's a quote, Willa Cather is one of my favorite writers. And I used to have it up in my office. The best thing about teaching is that you're learning all the time. Even up until I left Roslyn, I was always, because I ran book groups in Roslyn, I used to find that I learned so much from other people things that I had not seen in a novel or in a book. And so I just loved it. And I love it still to this day. And so your career kept advancing, right? It just, yes. And all this, and all of a sudden paint the picture for me of where your career ended up in terms of being the top of your accolades and like paint that picture for me. Right. So like, I'll, I'll give you an example. So like I played, basketball and at a certain point I was first team all Orange County everyone thought I had it all together you know was ranked top 25 in the country you know all the all of that tell me like what you built you worked so hard and then it ended up in the garbage but before that before that after 10 years I wanted to be an assistant principal and I applied for the position because I wanted to move up and the superintendent said to me at that time that my wife had passed away in 1973. When he interviewed me, he said, I have a question to ask you. There's a rumor that you were seen in a gay bar. Is that true? This was 1979. So your wife passes in 1973 to cancer. Yes. And during that period of time, where was your, what was your career looking like in that? It was, it was stellar. She would work with me. But didn't you have one of the top like school districts? And oh, yes. In, in Roslyn, we were one of the top 10 in 1999 from in the Wall Street Journal. Got it. So prior to that, you were just building, building. And in 1973, you and your, your wife passed. My wife passed. In 1979, there was a rumor that you were seen in a gay bar? Yes, that's correct. 
And actually what happened was um, I was lost after my wife died and I moved to an apartment close to my parents. All my friends were married, having children. You know, I would, I would go to films. I would, I would do a lot of reading, but I always had an, you know, an interest that I used to be inquisitive about men. And so believe it or not, in those days, I took out a telephone book and looked up gentlemen's bars. And this was about six months after Joanne had passed away. Mm-hmm. When I went into the bar, I met my partner of 45 years, Stephen, and we hit it off immediately. And in any event, I was still, you know, wanting to be more and more successful. So let me let me ask you. So your wife passed and and up until that point, you started to become interested. How long were you interested in meeting men? I always I always found both men and women attractive, but I used to find some men even more attractive. Do you think that's what was drawing you initially to becoming a priest? Like, like no. me, when I say that, when I say that, meaning you would have a celibate life or, or was it really you were that fascinated with religion? I was very, very, very fascinated with religion. And it had nothing to do with celibacy because I had a very fruitful marriage and a, a loving marriage. Mm. And there was never an issue in terms of our sexual relationship. I'm wondering, when you're going to a gay bar in 1973 or four, were you terrified? Yes. So walk me through the first time you went through a gay bar. Like what you're you're like, I've lived this straight lifestyle. I'm the successful guy. First time I, I just went and sat at the bar and had a drink and talked to no one. And then it might have been the second or third time that I came into the bar. And then for some reason, I walked to the back of it. And there was Stephen standing there and he was drinking Campari and soda, which I love and he loves. <laughs> and, I, and, and I said to him, my opening line was, you drinking Campari and soda? We just talked the whole night. And the second time we met for dinner, I felt a lot of guilt as a cat Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. But I also said, this may be who I really am. After a year and a half, Stephen and I moved in together, and we had been together now for 45 years. Five years later, you're together for four or five years, and then a rumor circulates that you're gay. And what came up for you? What feelings when you heard that? Superintendent started the interview by saying, I have to ask you something, and it's a very touchy situation. And I said, okay, Dr. So-and-so. And so we went through the whole interview, and at the end, he asked me the question, and I admitted the truth. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you know, as a teacher, it's one thing, but as an administrator, it's something different. So you were told because you were gay, it was uh, inappropriate if you're in an uh, administration role. That's correct. And so I was, um, I did not get the job. I began to apply to other districts. And a few weeks later, I was hired as an assistant principal. And then, and then fast forward for me, you're when did you end up at Roslyn? I get a call from Columbia saying, we want you to apply for Roslyn. Mm-hmm. They're doing a national search. And your first interview is at LaGuardia Airport. And so I went for the first interview. Then I went for the second interview with the Board of Education. And I began my career in Roslyn in 1992. And you had a super illustrious, big career at Roslyn. You had a a ton of success. It was one of the top school districts in the country, right? In terms of grades? That's grade. correct. That's correct. And it was families, it, it really changed this paradigm where suddenly people were looking at your school and saying, we need to create more schools like this or more school districts like this, right? That is correct. I presented at a lot of national conferences. 
did it all start to go wrong? You know, all went started to go wrong for the last couple of years. It was such a major mistake and such a major error. But I had a school credit card and I would always give the business office a check for my personal expenses. And the assistant superintendent for business changed. She had been there. And I, then I noticed that my checks weren't being cashed. And I said to her, why aren't my checks being cashed? Because I didn't have much on that credit card. And she said, because, you know, you work so hard, you give so much, you're here 12 to 14 hours a day, you know, you really deserve it. And what I should have said was, no, this is not going to work. I'm going to have to go to the Board of Education if you do not change. But I did not do that. I made the wrong choice. So that's how the embezzlement started was the assistant superintendent? Yes. Essentially. For business. For business. For business. And what was her name? Pamela Gluckin. Pamela Gluckin essentially said to you, look, you're working so hard and we don't need to uh, run the checks through in this way. And so essentially, how much more cash did you start getting every paycheck? Well, I would get a separate check, you know, a few hundred dollars of personal expenses at first. Mm, With the credit cards. With the credit card. And the rest she would pay because all of the conferences mm-hmm. went on that credit card when the board members accompanied me. And I guess, you know, greed begins to set in. And I began to say to myself, you know, in some ways I'm entitled to this mm. because so look at how hard they put in a bathroom so I could shower because I worked all day and I went to every night meeting. I went to every function. I loved that community. And the parents really admired and respected me. And you knew that in your role, in a sense, the accomplishments you had, that there was a cap in terms of how much money you could also make, right? The longer I stayed, I would have gotten a huge amount of money, which, of course, I did not get in the end. And it was never like they never asked, well, what are your expenses this month? There was never anything of that nature. So essentially, and how long did this go on for? A couple of years. And so during those couple of years, it just became, oh, well, this is just how it is. And did you start spending more money as the years went on? Yes, I did. What were you starting to pay for that was just completely? First of all, I have no background in business. So I had to rely totally on the business department. I began to feel guilty about the whole thing. And because I I had the, the bathroom was put in and I would change my suit twice a day and my shirt and tie twice a day, because at night I went to the meetings and, and concerts. And there was always something at night in Roslyn. You know, I, at one point I said, it's costing me a great deal of money for all this dry cleaning. And she said, oh, I'll, I'll cover it with the auditor. Don't worry about it. You know, just submit the bill and we'll pay for it. And how much, how much did you end up taking over those years? They said I took $2.2 million. Wow. That would be a lot of dry. That would be a lot of dry cleaning for two point two million. But but, no, but you have to remember also on that credit card. Well, they just took all the American Express charges and lumped them together. So every time we went on a conference with the board, I paid for all of the um, accommodations, the lunches, the dinners, the meals. You know, everything when we had a holiday luncheon for all staff. Yeah. So what do you what do you see? They said two point two. Where? How much do you? believe you spent on your own personal? I would say maybe a million dollars. Million dollars? Maybe 800,000. I really don't know. Yeah. I never kept a record because some things were actually in my contract 
and those charges were not removed from the 2.2 million. And and so you were eventually, you were charged and found guilty. I did not want to go through a trial. Okay. I was guilty. I did take money that I should not have. And so I, I plea bargained. And the plea bargain was that I had to pay back the full amount, 2.2 million, and I would go to prison for four to eight years. Wow. Yeah, it was a very stiff sentence. And are you still paying that off? I just finished. I just finished 20 years later, but I paid back every penny. And the way I was able to is every district I worked in is something called a tax shelter an annuity. And I had a lot of money in all the different districts and they froze all that money and took it all. And they took my stock portfolio. And then my sisters, we had a family house we sold and my sisters took home equity loans on their homes. And I was able to come up with the 2.2 million. And how long ago was that? In 1994. When, when did you complete serving um, prison? Well, for two years, they kept on postponing the hearings. Mm-hmm. And they, they tended to have the hearings in September when the parents were all there. And they were all very angry at me. And I understand why they felt I had betrayed them. Mm-hmm. That I, you know, I, I was always available to them. And so I understood that. So. Finally, in 2006, I was sent to the Nassau County prison and then upstate New York. How many years later was that, though? Because this happened in what year? 2004 was two years later. Two years later is when you ended up going to prison. To prison. For four years. For three years, three months, and 22 days because I made my first parole. And then your partner who, of 45 years, also had to go to prison, right? Yes. He had a... um, word processing company. He had women who worked for him. And I had told my assistants, if you don't want to hire them, don't hire them. But they did. And he did the work. But I did encourage him to pad the bills somewhat. Got it. So you just kind of got carried away in terms of the availability of the funds and feeling at the time, just some sense of like entitlement with it because it was so easy. And I was so successful. Right. You know, I was man of the I won the Martin Luther King Scholarship Award. I was man of the year in the Rotary. Mm. I mean, I, I had a list of accolades and to everybody I could do no wrong. And of course, you begin to have a sense of hubris almost, you know, as though, well, I deserve this. Look at what I'm doing. I'm I'm working from eight in the morning to sometimes two in the morning when we had board meetings. And so erroneously, I felt I was entitled. To, to it. What was it like for you when the truth came to light? At first, did you deny it or did you oh, just? It was, it was horrible. What happened was first Pam was discovered and she had been working with the auditor in a different district. Pam's niece worked there. The board knew as well. And her son was also um, stealing. Mm. And so when the board discovered it, we called in an attorney and I tried really to stay out of it. And the attorney told them, listen, you do not have to report this legally. You can just have her pay back her money and fire her. And so that's what the board agreed to do. The auditor said she had taken $200,000, when in reality, it was like $7 million. Wow. And why do you think she she got away with that? Well, they were afraid that I would, the community would get angry at me because she worked for me. They did not want to lose me, really. Got it. So they they had so much loyalty towards you and you were so good 
for them that they wanted to do anything they could to just make this go away. Yes, that is correct. After that, why didn't it go away? It was the winter break of 2004, and an anonymous letter was sent to everybody, all the mayors in Roslyn and all the dignitaries. And they said everything about her, and then they also brought me into it. And so once the anonymous letter came out, now everything blew up. And what was that like for you when that letter came out? Oh, it was horrific. Like what? What were you feeling? Oh, I was like I was drowning. Like I wanted to kill myself. Mm. And I didn't have the courage. The sad thing is the board members asked me a couple of times, was I involved? And I lied to them. And I said I wasn't. And that was a very terrible thing for me to do. Do you think it would have had a different outcome if you were honest instead of lying to them? No, I don't really think so. Because the bottom line was I took funds that I had no right to. Mm-hmm. And it really didn't matter. Um, how, let me ask you, how often do you think this actually goes on? I know it goes on in, in other districts. One that I heard of recently. And they said, we're just take getting the money back from the administration and getting them to um, getting them to leave because we don't want what happened next door in Roslyn to our community because I really disrupted the community. I had so many support supporters who were saying he would never do this. I understand there were fights in the parking lot at boards of education meetings. Oh gosh! It, I really disrupted the district, and for that, I am so ashamed. It, it was just awful. Because you're on the cover of newspapers and... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They put you on the cover of a bunch of New York papers. And, and what were some of those headlines against you? Oh, I don't remember them. But I know that Newsday probably had me on the front cover every other day. New York Magazine, New Yorker, wrote a horrible story called The Bad Superintendent. And if anything, I wasn't a bad superintendent. I broke the law. I did something very bad. I own up to it. You got greedy. I got greedy. Yeah. I got greedy. Which by the way, but which by the way, like we're humans and humans make mistakes. And sometimes the signs don't come to us quickly enough. And then we have big consequences, right? Yes. By the time it was starting to get out of control, you were just like, well, how can I get out of this? You know, look, and I, and I didn't sleep nights and I was really so upset. So when you're home here, when you're home and these newspaper and magazines and these articles are coming out about you, did you leave your house? Yes, I did. Not that often, but I did. And Newsday is a Long Island newspaper. I live in Manhattan. So some people in Manhattan did not see it. But I remember getting into the elevator on the west side, going to see an attorney. And this man in the elevator said to me, you're the bad superintendent. When he said when he said that to you, what did you say back? I said, yes, I, I am. You fully owned it at a certain yes, point. Absolutely. I fully owned it. And I was ashamed. And I thought, I love education. For 36 years, I had a great career. In the last couple of years, I destroyed it. It's like the opposite of what you were perceived. Suddenly it was, you went from hero to zero overnight. Overnight, absolutely. Canceled canceled. And there was nothing you could do about it. And even the passion and love that you had, you weren't able to get back into it. And you did what was right. You paid it back. You served prison time. And 
recently, then there's an HBO show movie with major Hollywood actors like Hugh Jackman. And that's called Bad Education. Yes. That essentially is your story. Well, nobody asked me anything about it. No, no, I'm saying it's their belief about your story. Right. He, I understand the youngster who wrote it um, was in the middle school at the time that it, this whole thing went on. Now, when I was in prison, I did get a, a letter from two documentary filmmakers who lived in Manhattan and were students when I was there. And they said, we really want to do a documentary on you and you could have final say uh, because we know the kind of superintendent you are. But I thought it would be a very bad idea because people were still concerned. They wanted me in prison for as long as possible. So after you get out of prison and for the last however many years, you're like, I did my time. I I got the consequences, big consequences. You had to pay back more money than you even thought you owed. On top of that, you had to serve prison time. Your partner served prison time. And then you get out. You're like, people have reached out to you even about maybe doing a story that's based upon, you know, what happened in your life. You're like, ah, that wouldn't make much sense to get into. I don't want to bring this thing back to the surface. Then all of a sudden there's, there, you maybe catch wind that there's a movie coming out with Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney on HBO that's based off of you. Yes, I found out it was a Saturday night in October of 2000, um, 2019. And one of my college friends called me. He lives on Long Island. Mm-hmm. And there was a small article in Newsday that talked about it. And he said, you know, they're making a movie about you. And I just I just crumbled. You know, it was, I thought, my God, I thought this finally was over. I mean, it'll never be over for me because every day I feel, I feel pain, but that's how I found out. And and when you heard that, did you have similar feelings to when you got caught or when anything that like, at what other time in your life did you have those same feelings that you had when you found out that bad education is about you? When the anonymous letter went out, by the way, those two years that the anonymous letter never was sent out, I still lived every day in fear. And at one point I said to the board president and vice president, I want to resign. And they said, no, we're not letting you resign. I came so close to telling them, but don't you understand I'm involved? But I could not bring myself to do that. But those two years were very painful too, because you know I just think that what goes around comes around. And I just felt that eventually they would learn what I had done. Mm -hmm. So that was very painful. And I think in some ways I can compare that to the pain I felt when I found out this movie is coming out of which this young man who wrote the screenplay was in the middle school. He was in the fifth grade, fourth grade. And it's a story about you and and HBO never reached out to you to find out your own version of the story. That's correct. And it's positioned as if this is the story, right? Yes. I mean, I can't tell you how to feel, but I imagine you're going through a windmill of emotions from like frustrated to anger to disappointed to numb. Correct. Because this movie comes out in a week. Yes, it does. Have you been 
reading anything about this movie that is based upon you? Uh, I looked at a couple of the clips about it. Alice and Janie said something. Oh, don't worry. Frank will take care of it. And um, but no, I, I, I really, you know, even like the, so many articles that were in the paper, I used to avoid them because they were so painful to read because so many times they were not accurate. And at the same time, they were true. Some of it was true. Right now, I'm going through a great deal of pain. So the movie will come out and there will be the many people who will become more angry, who knew nothing about it, and now will know about it. And I will be more ashamed of what I did. Well, what are you feeling right now? Right now, I'm feeling very upset, very emotional, very horrible. And, I, and I'm kind of saying to myself again, punishing myself, why did I do such a stupid, foolish thing? At one point, I went to a healing mass, a couple of healing masses, while I was waiting to go into prison. At one healing mass, these people spoke in different tongues, and they said, your problem is you can't forgive yourself, and I can't forgive myself. I find it very hard to forgive myself. In fact, at one point, I was just going to be arrested. I did try to take my life. When they were arresting you for this, you tried to- well, I knew I was going to be arrested the day after the 4th of July, and that weekend, I took pills. I just, my whole life was my career. I love education. I love teaching. I loved being, making so many good changes for youngsters that I, that I just, I was just destroyed. And have you had those same feelings where you, you thought about taking your life? No, no. Because now I say, I have asked God's forgiveness. I've done everything I could. When in prison, I did a great deal of teaching. In fact, when I left prison, the last, well, I got my first parole, which is very unusual. And the superintendent came over to thank me for all I did for their educational program. But I don't have the sense that I want to kill myself anymore. But I'm still extremely ashamed. Well, how do you want to feel about it? I don't think I could ever, you know. I'm saying take away, like, I don't think I could ever, but more like, how do you want to feel? I want to feel as though I'm sorry to the people of Roslyn. I know they will never forgive me, but I paid my dues and there was nothing. I mean, I went I'm to taking, prison. Like, listen, I'm with this. This all happened years ago, right? So like to me, 20 Frank, years ago, Frank, to me, you already did your time. I don't even think you have to say sorry anymore. It is what it is. That's that ship's passed. It is. You you fucked up. You admit it. You dealt the consequences. It is what it is. It's just part of the legacy of a story. We all have moments in our life that are dark. To me, and today, we're now 20 years later, right? You probably said I'm sorry so many times, right? Yes. But to me, it's like, how do you want to feel about you in this? How do you want to feel? Not how you're feeling, but how do you want to feel? I would want to feel like I, I, I did have a successful career in education and I did accomplish the things I wanted to accomplish. And I did do a great deal for, for youngsters. That's how I would want to feel. But that perfectionist piece of me mm -hmm. keeps eating at me. So you want to feel like you had a successful career. You know you had a successful career but it gets blended in the blender with this situation. 
and it becomes black and white where either it's a success or a failure. That's correct. Okay. So there's not been a lot of room for gray in terms of like looking. There's a lot of pain when you look back. Yes. Okay. How else do you want to feel? Happier, more peace? More peace. More peace. I almost feel I can, I don't know if I could ever be happy again. Why? Because of what I did. Yeah, you can, you can be happy again. <laughs> I've seen people do a lot worse things than you and, and be happy. You, well, you, you, the thing is, the thing that I've noticed is you feel a duty not to let go of what you did in the past because you should feel this, you should feel that, you should do this, and then you're shooting all over yourself. And you're just like, you're not being the best partner for your man. The creative energy inside of you, like it's almost like you feel like I should be, the punishment has already happened. And this movie coming out about you, it's like, did you have any intention of watching it? I did not have any intention, but I am going to now. Yeah, because I'll watch it too. And what we could do is we could take a look next week, you know, and and connect right after it comes out and process it and talk about it. Because I think avoiding it, it's almost like you might as well rip off the Band-Aid, right? Mm-hmm. So we can keep moving forward and moving on. Because otherwise our brains will be like, well, what did it say about here? And I see this clip and that's BS. But I want to help you get through the next week feeling better. And even when you're watching it, not being yourself up. So we're going to try something to see if this could work in that direction. Because you did have a successful career. You fucked up. You made a mistake. You paid for your mistakes, right? You did it. If anything, the legacy of that may be that more school districts from this movie may be viewed and looked at and parents will see what other superintendents are doing. Who knows, right? And there's always those people that are going to complain and blame and, you know, oh, this is awful. But like those people are miserable. People who sit there and like go out of their way to hate on strangers are so miserable. What a waste of energy. So the whole idea is to get out of that energy and get into what is actually going to bring you more peace. So in terms of like leading up to this coming out, because this is a big event for you, it's recreating something where you're not even able to tell the honest story. How can we get through this next week feeling better? I don't know. I really don't know. I'm gonna, we're going to try some stuff out real quick. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try with you, all right? Okay. So one is, what brings you joy? Reading. Okay, is your partner my bringing partner, joy? Or you guys... My partner. Okay, your partner. Who else films, in your life brings you Films, Who else in your life brings you joy? Some of my other friends, my family, my cousins. My sister is deceased now, but, you know, family always played a very big part. I get a great deal of peace in church. You know, it was interesting. When Joanne died, when my mother died... Not even going to mass, just going into St. Thomas More Church here on 86th Street and just just sitting there. That brought me peace. Let me ask you, do you always think you should feel bad about this for the rest of your life? I do. Because? Because I did a, ter- I did a terrible thing. So anyone that does a terrible thing should feel bad about it for the rest of their life, even when they... They dealt with consequences that that's not enough? No, of course not. You know, and maybe it's because, again, it's who I was. I worked so hard. You know, when I was getting my PhD at Columbia, I was traveling 50 miles each way. And I'd come back and, and I had to work while I was getting my doctorate. 
and I worked so hard for my career and I was so successful and it was like I was thrown off a roof. But the thing is, you said it, you said who I was, but now it's about who you are. That was you. That's not who you are today. No, it's not. And the ironic thing is they went back and checked a number of school districts and they found that I had never, ever done anything illicit or illegal. But when I say who you are today, you're somebody that was extremely successful being a superintendent, stole money, which is a terrible thing to do. And you own that it's terrible. Yes, I do. Then paid back money that was said owed. You went to prison. You got through it without killing yourself. Yes. You now have a reality. For whatever reason, universe has created another opportunity that maybe actually is about how do you forgive yourself of your past? And maybe this movie is an opportunity and vehicle to do that instead of going back to how you used to be, which is this movie means I'm a bad person, I'm shameful, I'm wrong. To me, like it's interesting that this thing is being created again in your life and you now have this opportunity to walk through it in an honest way in a way that's not afraid of what strangers think of you, an opportunity to connect with the people who really love you for who you are. And who knows, maybe you'll write your own script through this. Well, I began to write a memoir and I actually got as far as the Roslyn piece, you know, all the, all the earlier years. Because this all came back to the surface because of the movie coming out. Would that be right? That is correct, Mike. Okay. Sounds like you were like, oh, I'm steadily on this stream of life. Then this thing happens and it brings in the emotion for you. Yes. So what are you afraid of? I guess I'm afraid of seeing myself portrayed as being a liar and a cheat and a thief. And yes, I I was a thief. There's no question. And I should have stopped. Let me ju- ju- just, you, because you brought up a thing you, that I'm curious about. You said, I'm afraid to be perceived as a liar and a cheat. But I was a cheat. I, I was a thief. And you did lie. And I did lie. So why does it matter? Because it makes me feel so, so terrible, so bad, so evil. But you know you're not. Well, what I did was, was evil. What I did was very bad. It's almost like quicksand, you know, I got into a little bit and there was more and more and more and more. And then I didn't know how to get out of it. This this is what I want you to do. I want you, you're going to watch it with Steven. Yes. So you guys are going to watch it together. I want you, because I think this is an opportunity to actually get into forgiveness and see what comes up for yourself. And I'm going to help you work through it. And the way I want to do this is I want you to have a notepad and paper with a pen or pencil, crayon, whatever it is. And as you're going through it, I want you, because our our brains are like photographs. They take pictures of different times and we get different emotions, right? Yes. And so what I'd like to do is look at the different moments in the movie that brought out that reaction in you, where you're saying, oh, this is, I'm horrible. I'm a bad person. This is shameful. And if, if your piece of paper has... 10,000 things on it has 10,000 things. If it has 10 things on it, it has 10 things. That's your assignment. Okay. Because what we're going to do then is we're going to take a look at that. And I'm going to be able to help you figure out what's really going on underneath all of this. Because 
I find you really inspiring. I mean, it could be because I'm like, look, we all we all make mistakes. Some mistakes are really bad. But I think this is just a really good opportunity for you to sort what's been going on deeper inside of you. And this just happens to be what's bringing it all to the surface for very good reason. And so we can start to change that narrative because part of forgiving is all about what we say to ourselves. And I'm really curious when you watch the movie, what you're going to be saying to yourself. I understand. So what we could do is as soon as the movie comes out, I'll watch it as soon as it comes out, whether it's that day or night, we'll, we'll hop on, we'll get on, we'll, we'll continue this conversation. In the meantime, I would highly suggest not reading news about you, uh, having conversations with those in your family so there's not an elephant in the room, being able to say, hey, look, I know the movie's coming out Tuesday. I'm sure you guys don't even know how to approach me about it. You know this obviously is bringing up a lot of feelings inside of me. I just want to tell you that I appreciate so much my love for you and your love for me, and that makes me get through this in a much stronger way. Okay. Because the, the people in your life won't know how to approach you. And you can open up that door and you can start to get that, the people that really love you, because those are the people that matter. Yes. So. I'll do my best with that. I really will. Yeah. From last October, we, you know, I didn't know when the movie was coming out. I was in tremendous pain, um, worrying all the time. Is it going to be in the box? Is this going to be in the local theaters? They use my real name. How shameful. And that is when you're going to write down when you're watching it and go, they used my name and that feels shameful yes. and, and just be observant of it. And, and that's where I'm saying it's OK. Your legacy is not this movie. Your legacy is not even what you did. It just happens to be a big moment in time. That's a lesson that's learned. Your family loves you. You have love in your life. And through this process that I'm taking you through, we're going to get to the other side of this where we're going to use the movie as an opportunity for you to finally feel forgiveness for yourself. And we're going to take that and turn it into inspiration for you. Sound good? Sounds very good, Mike. All right. I wish everybody was like you. Well, make the world a very different place. Yeah. And I, I wish everyone was like you and they could own their mistakes and move on. But we learned together and uh, I got your back and uh, I'll talk to you as soon as the movie drops. Okay. All right, Frank. And in the meantime, okay. I would I would not go talking a lot to people. Just your close circle would be yes. my suggestion to you. Yes. So I, actually, I haven't told anybody even about doing the podcast because I, you know, I despise talking about it or thinking about it or realizing what a fool I was. So I will try my best. I really will. Well, you got it, Frank. We'll have some peace and quiet and and do you and and we'll be talking really soon. OK, well, thank you so much. You got it. OK. All right. Bye. Bye now. Subscribe, download, and we'll be having more podcasts out every week with incredible people. So I'll talk to you guys soon.